If I could tell you just one thing is an event industry podcast presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate where industry leaders write a letter to their younger selves and consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now if only they could. Our discussion is based on this letter. Be prepared for a refreshingly honest conversation and wise words of wisdom. Our guest on today's episode has been called the Prince of Pop-Ups, Tycoon of Temporary Restaurants and Baron of Barbecues, and the Sunday Times called him London's Pop-Up King. Jimmy Garcia runs his hugely successful catering business like a creative agency, designing brand experiences with food for clients that include Google, Meta, Netflix, Pinterest and Spotify. He's a zero food waste champion with a passion for seasonality, locality and provenance that ensures his food not only tastes and looks incredible, but also tells a story. His thrilling career journey to date has been a roller coaster ride. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Thank you. What oh, an intro. Like I'm blushing. Is, I know, what an that? intro. Just a few <laughs> subtle brands there as well. <laughs> yeah, just a little drop in. So, Jimmy, for those that don't know you, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Jimmy? And equally, then, what do you do and why do people know you? Uh, my name is Jimmy Garcia um, from Jimmy Garcia Catering and Jimmy's Pop Up. So I um, I run pop up restaurants throughout London um, in some of the biggest high football locations in London, really. So Somerset House and the South Bank. Um, and then I another side of my business is event catering. So we, like you, like you just kindly mentioned, we like service lots of brands, corporates, and um, obviously high net worth private clients as well. So about seventy percent of my business is split across that side. So the events and thirty percent is in the um, in the pop ups world. And before we get into it, if we were going to go out for dinner right now and I was going to cook, I was gonna what, ask that what would be your yes. last, well, I will change that. What would be your favourite meal, the last meal that you could possibly have? Death Are Row. you cooking? Are you going to ask? Probably. Actually, Max is a great I'm cook. quite good, but uh, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> last meal. On, well, do you know what? Earth. So I've been out to there's a couple of things that. So there's, I've got my favourite restaurant in London, but I reckon my last meal on earth would probably be my mum's lasagna. I reckon. Oh. It's really good, mate. Like, it is. It's a banger. So it? uh, yeah, and, yeah. She's got all the crispy bits on the outside, and like, there's just lots of memories of sitting around that kitchen table with all my sisters and stuff. So. Love uh, that. Yeah. Well, that's quite a nice segue, and then in terms of of your mum's cooking and things like that, tell us a bit about your childhood. The letter. That's that the only things you could cook. By the oh, way. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one hit, one hit, she was one really dad. good at it, but that was about it. And then the rest, my dad would do. But yeah. Obviously, you're on the sofa now, and thanks again for joining us. We, we've asked you to write a letter to your younger self, and, and we've taken you back to the age of 21. What I'd love to do is is kind of start by going a little bit further before, and it talks about yeah. your mum's lasagnas as great memories and things, but yeah. tell us a little bit about Jimmy growing up and what kind of you're yeah. like as a, as, a, as a kid and up to that age of 21. I had a lot of energy. Um, so now I grew up in Wakefield, where I also where dreams are made and hearts are broken. Um, and <laughs> Sounds my, like a take that single. Exactly, yeah, you can tell I've used that line a lot of times, <laughs> mainly in bars <laughs> with women. No, no, and the, uh, but I um, maybe leave that behind. Um, <laughs> um, but I yeah, grew up in Wakefield. Um, my parents both were market traders. So I uh, used to do curtains and carpets in, in Wakefield. And I would, would go around. Obviously, there weren't many people. My dad was called Jesus or um, spelt Jesus. So the amount of time, and the, the house phone was the work phone. So everyone would ring the house phone and would ask for Jesus. And he was like, it's a bit busy at the moment, but it's Sunday. Christmas time is particularly busy. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's his birthday coming up. So um, <laughs> so that, that was what we had in Wakefield. And, you know, if I'm honest, my mum and dad used to work incredibly hard. So it was six days a week. Sunday was church and that was the day off. And they instilled into us pretty, pretty quickly that, you know, if you want something, you need to work really hard for it. 
so yes, that was it was a lovely childhood. You know, my mum and dad. We I would say my mum and dad didn't have a lot, but they always made sure that we had everything we ever would want and needed. And they then I think only when you get a bit older, you might realize this. But when you get older, you realize, and when you have kids, uh, you realize the sacrifices that they made to actually like because when you're a kid you just think your mum and dad are there to live for you you know what I mean and then when you have kids you're like oh god <laughs> like yeah, actually they've done a lot yeah actually yeah. you realise that and I think um, that was a big realisation for me so I always loved food my dad's Spanish um, so food was, has always been kind of in our DNA and my dad was always his, his way of relaxing was cooking so you know like he would do he'd work in, in the market all day get back at six o'clock and he would go straight into the kitchen with a bag of food that he bought from the butcher or that he bought from the greengrocers and would then just get to cooking dinner for us that night. And uh, my best food memories, uh, my best memories with my dad are based around, always been based around food. Because nice. that was a, that was the big connection that we had really. Like So football. Would you, would you get involved helping him or would it be more so yeah, just watching? Well, it's, it's to start with, I was really young, not so much more just hearing my sister saying, it's too much garlic. <laughs> everything um spanish you know what i mean so that was always a big argument anything we taste my sisters no matter what there's be too much garlic my sisters are like the ugly sisters like much older than me and much they're highly strong um <laughs> so so that so there was like that that period and then when i got to a little bit older we'd used to you know remember football italia yep. james yes. richardson yeah vividly in my memory we used to watch football italia together after church on a sunday and we'd have like lamb's kidneys together and like that remember that being like our little obsession that we'd kind of do together and and yeah, and those little memories really. So and then a big thing for us, like on a Sunday roast, we'd have Sunday roast. But then the big thing was if my dad, if we had guests round, my dad would get the pile of pan out, and that was like, he's cooking tonight. <laughs> Serious, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'd have like amazing cured meats that we get, like proper good cured meats. My dad actually imports our cured meats now for us through the business. So amazing cured meats. And then we'd always have this big paella that everyone would have together. And then my dad's go-to was like these really good poached pears just at the end, you know, just for dessert. But Peach And then after pear. eight, and then get the after eights out. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh. And I was allowed a glass of schlur because that was like, you know. Did you have Vianetta in your household? The Vianetta ice cream? That was always like the height. Love Vianetta, of... yeah. It's made a renaissance, you know, like we had it, I had it in our house not so long ago and it doesn't taste as good as I remember. <laughs> if <laughs> I'm being totally so, so retro, it's come I'm, back and it's yeah, cool again. If I'm being totally honest, it tastes of, yeah, of a nostalgia, but not much else. Yeah. yeah it's like, oh, it's a shame. But yeah, it was like a very happy house, a very busy house. And my mum, the, the, an open door policy throughout my whole house. So my mum actually ended up setting up a charity in, um, in Kenya and like, there's a bit of those used to be a running joke with my mum was like we we had her seventieth um last year and I did we did a little bit of speech with my sisters and we we're just saying like the one minute there'd be like a Kenyan who was living with us for a year in the house who from who came from the church then there was a Chinese student for six months who lived with us then there was a recovering alcoholic that my mum took under her wing and uh, took her into a house then there was a woman my mum met in home base who like <laughs> who turned out was like I think he he was hard on his luck or whatever and he, she invited him back for the dinner and he ended up staying for this for like three nights and i remember my sister's been like this is mad mum like this has to like this this can't carry on um but i you know that openness and that open door policy was something that we've all as always adopted and something that I always, I always knew that when i was older i wanted to be accepting of people you know so yes it's kind of and i only realize now more so as i get older how, how much i probably am like my mum <laughs> like which is just slightly scary um she's a woman but um, but you know, but like it's like scary in that sense. But um, but also like pretty pretty amazing woman. So. And it comes across in your letter really nice that you talk about those moments with Papa G where you like sit down with some pasta and watch the football and stuff. So how did you ever consider catering or, or food as a career when you were younger in those sort of moments cooking together? To be honest, so um, so so it's more on it really. So actually, when my my cooking kind of really started, I got a little bit older, and then um, it started with high school. 
no one's going to be at home when you get back home. So like, if you're hungry, you're on your you own. should probably try and figure out how to cook yeah. something. So it started with like, my, uh, get home, Heinz tomato soup, ham and, toma- ham and tomato sandwich and neighbours. And then, you know, dip it, watch, dip watch your neighbours, dip there, wait for Hollyoaks at half six. Like, that, was, <laughs> that, was, yeah, that, was, that was our life. There are people <laughs> literally really listening weird. to this that have no idea who neighbours are or Hollyoaks. Oh, no, so I think Hollyoaks is still going. Is it? Is, is it? it still and, going? Yeah. and like yeah. Neighbours is on channel like 42 or something now, I think. Like, But yeah, so we, that's how it started. And then my mum introduced, like we started to get leek and potato soups. She made an amazing leek and potato soup. So she'd show me how to do that and I could make that. Carrot and coriander. So it started with the easy and then like always baking and things like that with mum. And then when I actually went to, just before we went to university, when I was at uh, high school, I started to realise I could probably quite impress the ladies with this as well. So I was like, started to get into cooking a little bit more. And I used to have these dinner parties, end of high school and then college. And um, I charged, basically I'd say, say to everybody, £10 each. So everyone, all my mates would put a tenner in. I'd go and buy like food for like four courses. We'd, I'd go for it. And then any, any leftover food, any leftover money, we'd buy booze. So we used to have like, like these little parties basically with all of our like really close friends. And I used to love it, love hosting, having my friends around, get my mum, keep my mum and dad out till like 11 o'clock or something and then have a bit well, of a that's sophistication of doing it 16, four course dinner parties where everyone else is on the golf course well, with titties yeah. getting pissed. It, we, we used to go to the rugby club. That was where we'd go still, to the stands afterwards. Um, <laughs> and like, and the I would say he wasn't very civilised after we'd eaten. It was like, yeah, pretty raucous. I like how you started though. Start, well, start, start well. Yeah, exactly. You know, start classy and finish into like not so classy. It's <laughs> the way, isn't it? So yeah, so that that was how that was that was again what we were doing. And then when I went to university, did I carried that into uni as well. So we had like all of our mates and was working at Revolution at the time. And I was like, right, everybody put a tenner in and we'll do that. And just started to turn into a bit of a thing that we do every few months. And then I before university anyway, I had a job as a starter and dessert chef and like well, a commie chef basically in a restaurant um called Walskew and um which is in Wakefield. And I just would be like plating up desserts, plating up starters, like basically working on the weekends, working the odd night in the week and kind of got a real feel for like professional kit. And it was harsh in there, you know, like I remember my first, before I actually got given the opportunity to actually play and stuff, I'd be pot washing. I remember being like one day leaning against the back of my sink because I'd done all the pots that needed to be washed. And I remember the chef just going, what are you doing? I went, I've washed everything. And he just grabbed two eggs, threw them into the corner of the kitchen and went, you wash them. I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, that's that. And then I remember that a couple of days after that, they said to me, we eat a whole bulb of garlic, we'll let you go home and you can pay you for the shift. I was like, serious? They're like, yeah, I was like, no sweat. So I chowed down this bulb of garlic and then they're like, fuck off, get back to your section. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> so I don't want to do that again, but just the note to self, you end up, it sweats out of you for about three days. So, right. um, so don't do it, all right? <laughs> it's no not kid. worth it, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was my first foray into like professional kitchens really then. Um, and then that's kind of really, really when I, didn't, still didn't think that I was going to take it for a career, but I started to realise that if I could cook, I could travel, and I could, and I had a real passion for travelling. So when I finished college, um, before university, I went travelling for a year, and I got a job. I, to be honest, I didn't work for about for the first six months. I went five months. I went travelling around um, Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam and Laos, and then went to New Zealand for a month, and then went to Australia with no money left, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, I had to go and get a job. But before that, to save money to go traveling, I worked in a restaurant. So I used to work in a butcher's in the day. So from seven till six, I'd do the butcher's. And then I'd go to the restaurant and on my way, my mum would drive me to the restaurant and I was working in front of house there. She'd drive me to the restaurant. On the way to the restaurant, I'd be like spraying the deodorant, get myself the, the smell of raw meat and sausages cleaned off me. And then I'd go and work and a shift in the evening. And I just worked like a dog for four months. And so there's no time to spend the money. 
and I could just save it all and then go traveling. And um, traveling again was a bit of a point of like, just really finding who, and it sounds like a massive cliche, but at 18 years old, going around the world, being on, I went with, went with two friends and after two weeks, left them to it. And being on my own, you just learn, you, you, you learn, learn a lot about yeah, yourself. Yeah, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn that actually you, you're all right. You know what I mean? Like you're actually all right. And like, and people, you get on with people and stuff. And I think that was a big, big confidence boost and a big, big moment in my life for sure. Um, Do you think everyone should go traveling? I don't think it's for everybody, but I think, I think there is, it takes you out of your comfort zone. I think in a way that makes you, you can either sit for 10 months in a corner and meet nobody and read books but you're going to hate it, you know, or you can embrace it and embrace that every, like loads of people in the same position as you. And all they really want is to go and have some fun and meet people. Yeah. And like, for me, I, I can, I could probably forget about the places I went, but I won't forget the people I met, you know, like, I think no. like, you know what I mean? Like I went to some amazing places, but the things that I remember the most are the people that I was with and the times I had with them for sure. Yeah. Um, so obviously with this brilliant sort of introduction to food and the sort of Spanish influence and cooking at home the obvious thing to do at university is an economics and business degree <laughs> yeah <laughs> so tell uh, us how, how you came to choose that well, and where you went to again so you know I work I um it's all a bit confusing you know growing up you know I think for everybody you know when you like you're at school and I remember you know my parents just wanted better for us you know they always wanted us to do to be better to have better and that for them in their heads was go to university, be a lawyer or a doctor. If you're clever, be a lawyer or a doctor, you know, like, and that's, that's, that's success, you know? Mm. And, um, and I, I, so obviously I worked, worked quite hard at school. Well, I was very cheeky at school. And then I said, I got to about 14 and realized I should probably get my head down here because like it's probably the time to do it. But what I would say looking back now is, yeah, you take it seriously, but it's not the, it's not the be all. Yeah. I remember that time getting so worked up about those exams and stuff like that. Mm. It's just not worth it because there's, there's a whole world out there that kids don't know about which is like working and mm. like and meeting people and that doesn't doesn't need a degree you know so yes i think that was a um like a, a pretty good point really so you were saying then about the business economics degree and and you can explain a little bit more of how much you enjoyed that or, or didn't enjoy it yeah so it was about how, how i got to that point i guess of the business economics degree yeah. sorry so so yes yeah, so it is all it's all a bit confusing when with kids at school i found it, and i was the same you know i don't really know what i want to do and i think at, i think it's 14 when you got to choose your gcse choices i mean it's mental to think that anyone at 14 years old knows what to do with their life, right? So uh, I actually first was like, oh, do you know what? I love football. I'm going to go and do a physiotherapy degree. So I actually went, <laughs> I actually went to Northumbria to do physiotherapy. I'd been traveling, had this like amazing time, got home from traveling, said to my parents, I don't want to be a physiotherapist. I'm pretty certain I don't want to be a physiotherapist. I said, what do you want to be? I said, I think I want to be a teacher. And they were like, you don't want to be a teacher. And I was like, I think I do. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be. So she went, they went, go to university, see, give it a go and see what happens. And if you want to, don't do it, fine. Oh yeah, that's that. And I went and I remember being in these physiotherapy lectures and like nothing to do with the amount that I was drinking the night before, but having these just like hot sweats of like panic of being like, I don't care about any of this. Like, I don't care, you know, like, and having these moments of just be like, I need to get out of here. So got to about november and i was like i'm i'm, I'm not gonna do this and uh, i transferred uh, and then i actually then i went to traveling to go i went to go and do a ski season so i went on holiday with my sister for a week and then ended up getting a job on the last day and stayed there for the whole winter so they uh, this was in val d'azare they then drove me to courchevel uh which is where if the you're job gonna do it do it well guys well yeah it was all right yeah <laughs> which is where the job was so i went and then you know i went to courchevel and she was like can you cook? I was like, yeah, I can cook. And she looks, she said, we'll take a chance. So we'll, drive, we'll go to Courchevel. So I did it and um, I ran a chalet there for the winter. 
and again, this is all people you meet, right? So one of my um, guests, one of my clients was the creative director of Big Brother, ran Endemol basically. I got on with him incredibly well. And he was like, you don't want, I was thinking about going to do law, right? In September, because again, just had no idea what to do. And he was like, you don't want to be a lawyer. He's like, why don't you come and like do some running with me on Big Brother for the summer? And I was like, yeah, all right. So I finished in May, going uh, work on Big Brother for the summer and like had the best time. And then was like, right, I'm gonna do a degree in September, but I'm gonna do something that's generic so it keeps my options open when I finish. And hence business and economic was what I set on. So yes, it's been, it's quite that, you know, that, that then Phil, who was from, who I met and was doing the Endemol stuff. Now we do lots of events. He's now the head of Sky Arts. We do lots of events for Sky. Uh, his daughter, Daisy Edgar-Jones, who's from uh, Normal People. So we do lots of little bits for her as well. So it kind of, it always stands you in good stead to like, just, like I say, just get on with people, you that, know? That's a running theme. And we'll come back to that because there's a comment that you made in your letter later on as well. But this ability to kind of connect and befriend and, and create these relationships with people, but where people will see it as a passing thing, it was lovely to meet you, see you later type of thing. You seem to have a real ability to maintain them and, and through decades, quite literally in some cases. Is that something that is, is naturally built into just, you know, keep in touch and things like that? Or is it something you work hard at in terms no, of... I, I, I... I think for me, it's just, I think you should be nice to everybody, right? Like, unless someone does you really wrong, like, what's the reason to not be nice to it? And I think I like to think that most people in the world, almost everybody in the world has good intentions, whether they get it right or not every time. But I think everybody means well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think there are many like nasty people in the world. And I just think, I think being open and like being open with people and being honest with people and, and warm, you know, is like that gets reciprocated by people who are honest and warm as well. And then there's, there's this network of people that just kind of like get on, you know? And I don't think it's, it's not necessarily something I've worked at. I think if you're passionate about something and when we're, so this, for example, you know, Phil Edgar Jones and who are the, the guys I work with there and at Sky, I wouldn't be doing events for Sky if um, like, just because Phil and I get on with him, doesn't mean I'm going to be doing events for Sky at all. You know, it means that there's a, there's a, there's a slight opening of a door, but then we've got to go and prove ourselves and we've got to go and do the work and, and we've got to deliver because otherwise, mm. you know, you're only as good as your last event. And, and that's definitely the case in our industry. There's too many people out there doing really good work to, to rest on your laurels. Mm. Um, but no, I think like if you're passionate about something, you are talking about something because you're into it, you know, not because you're like trying to get something out of someone or trying to get a deal. And I think subliminally, yes, maybe that that is what happens that you do get like thing. But I always say positive things happen to positive people, right? And I think um, I firmly believe it. And, and you know, and if you go out there and you you put it out there, it'll come back, you know. So we were talking about it prior to, to coming in and the word of, of networking is is quite a dirty word. It's a dirty yeah. word. Yeah, but networking as a as a, as a principle and an act feels like it's quite suited ties and come coming at yeah. you for business. But what was interesting and, and kind of where I was leading to with that question about this relationship building it and you made the point earlier about it is the kind of almost a byproduct of just being nice and things. So I wonder if you were if you were starting again or speaking to someone and they were thinking, right, how do I build that kind of relationship group or, or network? Yeah. What would you say is the better way to go about it? I'd, I'd say, honestly, you're not going to be able to please everybody, you know, in, in terms of that like networking thing. Sometimes you'll just get a rapport with people and you'll just get it and it'll click. And that's, and they're the ones that are going to be the ones that you're going to be friends with in 10 years time who are going to be your, you're going to be the go-to guy for their jobs. You don't need to schmooze them. You don't need to butter them because you just have a good relationship. You know, like they're the best ones, right? And I just, there's a little element of like just finding your tribe with 
with people, you know, like, and genuine, being like genuinely interested in what people mm. got and finding a genuine connection with someone, not just like, a, you know, pretending that you love golf and then you go for a day of golf with them and you just, you're terrible. And all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't play golf, by the way. But, you know, like, that's, that's the kind of thing. I think you find, you find connections with people and then it, it's organic. And if it doesn't, if it's not organic, it's not going to really work, is it? You know, let's be honest. And there are other, other clients that I have a relationship with and network with that, I don't ask many questions because that's not what they want. You know, like where, you know, it's a slightly much more professional relationship. And I think it's judging their, judging the person you're in the room with and making them feel comfortable. And I think, and that's our job as a, as a, we're a caterer, you know, we're a service industry. Like we're here to basically provide a service for people. And so the first job is to make people feel comfortable with who they're talking to. Right. And then after that, the rest is the fun bit, the food, Mm. you know, all that stuff. So I think if you don't do that and then, you know, it just helps you down the line, you get trust. You know, people, they, they trust you to deliver, they leave you to leave you to get on with it. There's lots of things that happen by creating that nice mm. atmosphere, really. You talked about that sort of open house policy and the fact that you're quite like your mum. Yeah. How much do you think those early lessons from home and that sort of open house has has contributed to the uh, I mean, approach you have? I would say the no shame is probably where, like I'd say my, the, first, the start of my business, just no shame. I don't, I don't really care what, I in my I was so convinced and so convicted in my own idea and what I was doing and that I thought it was right. I didn't care what anyone else thought, and people thought I was mad. You know, like the first one, the first pop up I did in um, in Ballam, put a hundred scrolls through my neighbour's doors. Um, I went outside Ballam tube station and flyered outside Ballam tube station, just looking back. I was like, what was I doing? Um, so I, like, I flyered outside Ballam tube station and I borrowed. I sent an email to the Ballam Baptist Church in Ballam, and said. Basically, I was asking for 25 um, sets of crockery, crockery, 25 sets of cutlery, glassware, um, tables, three ta- three round tables and 25 chairs. And I would give them two free tickets for the community as a kind of in return. And they went for it. They, was, they were like, yeah, we'll do it. So, and I couldn't drive, right? So I had to go to the Bell and Baptist Church, load all the chairs and tables into the into a taxi, right? And then drive the taxi. We go to the taxi, we drop it all off at the house. We do three runs. And that was all the stuff there. And I'd drop it all off Friday. I'd spend the Friday setting it all up. I'd then go Friday morning. I'd go to Billingsgate first about, no, so uh, Smithfield first. So I didn't even know that you could order stuff and it'd get delivered to your house. <laughs> like it didn't get delivered as a supplier. This is how like, you know, naive I was right at the beginning. And so I'd go, go to Smithfield, get my meat done, bring it back in a suitcase on the tube, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bet you were popular. We were working a suitcase. It was all right at that time because it's too early. No one, it's not busy. Sec- Hopefully, it was fresh. Well, <laughs> the second was very fresh, mate. Straight yeah. out of the mark. And the second one, then I just I dropped that off, get it in the fridge, then I go straight back to Billingsgate. Right, that's a different kettle of fish. Literally, literally. literally. <laughs> right. So you get there, and you know this is the train to Canary Wharf. It is heaving, and uh, so I'd, I'd go, I'd buy my fish. They give you know the uh, the, the like polystyrene. the polystyrene cool tries. boxes filled with ice. Put it into the suitcase, and I'd go all the way back. Thing and honestly, man, it was like some the suitcase time. at that point. Then being tilted, but on the, you know, <laughs> and obviously, <laughs> like you know, if it, you know, fish on a tube is pretty smelly. <laughs> and it was you know, people on the tube are pretty smelly. A, let alone a, a, busy, a busy commuter commuter tube. And I remember that. I remember. I just remember sitting opposite this woman once, and she was so she was trying to be so polite, and just like holding her nose like this. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so like. I remember even then, you know, I remember being on that tube and I, I vividly remember being on that tube and having all these busy people and really thinking to myself, I'm the smug one here. Like I'm doing 
I'm, I'm, I felt like I've got a purpose and I feel like I'm, I'm following a dream that I've got. And I remember, I know that just no shame, you know, like what's, what's wrong with that? Mm. Um, and I think then all that stuff, you know, that taking, taking the right advice from the right people is definitely, you know, something that, but my mum always used to have those kind of like, doesn't matter what other people think, as long as you think in your head, you're doing the right thing and like, it's right for you and it's right for the people that you're helping or the people that you're doing it for, then like, who cares what like, Mm. as someone else thinks you know it's nothing to do with them I love it the no shame piece just means that you kind of aren't worried and another one was saying comparison is the thief of joys is that actually if oh, you're in favorites. your own world you know without any influence or comparison is actually to your point and they can just imagine you this blinker this smile oh, on totally your face for years with fish in your seat w- <laughs> wading through but thinking I'm going to do what I you know this is kind of your entrepreneurial exactly. style uh, you know you lot are all going to like you know, you're all working on the Drake gravy train and I was like and I'm going in the opposite direction to like do my little thing yeah and you know i would have never imagined in a million years at that time that what we were doing then was going to turn into yeah. the company it's turned into now and uh, it w- honestly would have been in my wildest dreams to be doing this you know so i probably don't think about that enough actually and like makes me a bit emotional talking about it to be honest so, no, um, and i want to ask you about that in, in a bit about that gratitude and, and this understanding and appreciation of the hard work and where it's got you but you were mentioning there about this no shame piece and in your letter, you mentioned about the degree and, and kind of the business and economics, but actually then you taking a slightly different turn into the world of, was it trading or... or yeah. And, um, it, and it being a really bad decision, but it... That was awful, yeah. ...took that route in to then reverse you back. Well, Talk us through about that and actually then the acknowledgement or recognising this isn't for me and, and how, yeah, that, well, how you dealt with it. It's one thing I should probably put in, that's there's a big part. So I, I worked on a yacht. When I was at university, I worked on a yacht as a chef for three years. Okay, so... Um, that was a, a big, big thing for me. And that was like, you know, my guy, the guy who owned my yacht owned um, hotels and nightclubs over, all over the world. This is below deck type scenario. Not quite as as big as, so it was um 34 meter boat. So not quite, you're talking about 110 foot. So not quite the size of the below decks and not as many crew. So, but, but still very intense. But, you know, again, you know, I went on that boat. I was 20 years old, had no, I don't know, come from, you know, state school in Wakefield. I had no, like... And as far as I'm concerned, you might have loads of money, but you, you're still still a bloke, you know, like, and, and I think it was really refreshing for him because he'd, he'd probably had previously had everybody trying to blow smoke up his bum for however long. And it's probably a bit like exhausting. And mm. actually he just had a, someone who was like a bit a cheeky kid who was just cooking for him on the boat and that worked really well. So I did that for three years. And, um, and then when I finished from there, I then took a pay cut to go and work as a broker, broker in the city. Um, I had a friend who was, was a broker. And I met his boss on like a night out and got on with his boss really well. And his boss offered me a job. So um, there's a bit of a running theme here, isn't there? <laughs> Just blag it. And his boss offered me the job. So I'd done a business and economics degree. So I thought, well, I should put this to the test and, and do it. And um, similar, after about five or six weeks, there's hot flushes of going like, what am I doing here? And then after about four months, I was like, I'm going to just, I saw in an advert, I saw in a uh, vice, I think it was, some guy was doing like a 15 course menu Japanese tasting menu somewhere. And it was the first time I'd ever seen or heard about the concept of a supper club. So I was like, oh, that sounds quite fun. You know, I hate my job. I might just do something as an outlet for a bit of fun. And it, genuinely, that was all it was. It was an outlet. It was a bit of pocket money because I was in like 20 grand a year. And it was a bit of pocket money, but it was more of a like chance to have a bit of fun and do something that I could be a bit proud of, really, rather than just trying to like sit at a desk all day and get people's lunch, you know? And I remember after about six months, I spent most of my time in that office writing menus using the printer to print menus, 
buying parchment, like buying like fancy paper and then putting it in the work printer and then just printing it all <laughs> off. It's just like, I spent half my day and I was just a bit like, and again, it's like, if they, if they, if they get wind of it, well, you know, I'm not really that bothered because I'm not mm. really that bothered about this job, you know? So I did a few of those um, pop-ups while I was working and even my bosses could see that I was really passionate about that and not so passionate about all the other stuff. And I went to go um, on holiday skiing. So I went to Courchevel for a, a holiday. And when I went on holiday, I was with my best mates who we'd been out there. They'd, they'd, we'd done seasons together before in Courchevel. And they were both, both managing a um, chalet, different chalet companies and they hated it like because the staff they had were terrible. Um, just, well, they weren't providing a great experience for their guests and they were not happy about that. And we um, had a bit of a brainstorm on, on a ski lift and decided we were going to set up our own chalet company. So I went back to, back to um, London, called bosses into a room, said I was going to quit. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to set up a chalet company. They're like, right out. <laughs> and then I, I went out to Courchevel and that's what we did. And um, we, we opened, we set up a chalet company and a business on the total sum that it cost to set it up. I think it was about two and a half grand. And we had a, had a ski business out there. So we managed to get a deal with a chalet owner, which I don't think he even realized. I went to go meet this guy. He found this chalet in Courchevel, chocolate box chalet just outside off, off the ski lift. And it hadn't, it was to let for the following season. So I was labeled as the guy, the, the talker between the three of us. So I was like, you go meet him. I was like, all right. So, but both my mates are like proper mountain men, you know, like huge beards, love skiing, but don't like people that much kind of thing. Like, <laughs> so it was <laughs> like, sort of left to me to do the other stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so I went to Paris and I remember we were like just by the Arc de Triomphe. I was meeting him in this cafe. I had no money and I, I, I got there about 40 minutes early because I didn't want to mess it up. And I remember getting a latte and it was about 15 euros. And I think I'm going to have to drink this for the next hour because... I, I can't buy another one and um we did this deal and the whole deal was that by i didn't have to pay a deposit on the chalet until the second of december so by the, by the beginning of december which then meant i had like six months to sell holidays so and that's what we did so um we set up a chalet company and um and then i came back in the summer i needed something to do and that's how the pop-ups really started so yeah that's the kind of like the the food journey if you like in terms of like how it starts. So that sense of industriousness and sort of doing whatever it takes and, and getting stuck in and not being afraid to sort of know pull the fish along the train or start something new like where yeah. does that come from um I, I think I just, i've always been very lucky you know and I, I but i also think that i've made the most of the luck i've been given you know and mm. i think and i think another clubby cliche phrase fortune favors the brave you know like mm. and i think if you don't put yourself out there you'll never know how good a position how good a situation you're in if you don't see it to the end or see you know or, or maximize that opportunity with whatever you're doing really and i think uh, it comes back to the you know bit of advice about you know saying yes you know like i think like what's the worst I, and this is the one thing as well when i get really sometimes like, don't get me wrong i say yes and i go like oh my god what have i just agreed to <laughs> you know and you go away and you might feel a bit sick for a minute or you might but then you just you you turn that panic into action and and like i always think if they can do it i can do it you know like we're all just people right and and i think that's and what's the worst that's going to happen no one's going to die today you know like i hope not anyway you know but you know, especially on your walk yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean like and it's like you have to you have to have to sometimes, and I, you know, I have to rationalize it. I still today have to rationalize stuff. I still panic and still get, mm. still obviously get overwhelmed with things. I'm still only human, but the rationalizing is like, this is, a, this is like, what you I, want I love that because we, um, so much of my personal journey, but also seeing so many of like peers and colleagues, I often have this conversation that says, growth only comes when you get uncomfortable. So sometimes you have to put yourself in those places and say yes to things that you don't think you should or you're not ready for or feel too big. 
because that's where growth happens. So if it feels a bit uncomfortable, you're probably mm. doing something right. So I always say like, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable Absolutely, if you're yeah. going to grow. You mentioned you've got a big example, at least one yeah. of the first, the first big ones of saying yes and-, and Oh yeah, so I, well, I mean, apart from- I've got quite a getting, few feet, Getting a chalet honest. without having <laughs> yeah. a company, and, and apart from being a trader, but doing pop-ups, and apart from all these I was others, a rubbish but, trader, by the way. Like yeah. I was proper rubbish. Yeah, like no one, no, I didn't, yeah, no one wanted me to stay at that desk as much as I didn't want to be there, so it was fine. It was a mutually <laughs> convenient decision. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, I think they were like, oh, good. What, what's the biggest one then that you've, you've kind of- Biggest say yes. So um, the first big job I did, which is probably, I guess in context of that, would probably be, you know, from that, was um, the Loud Lounge at, again, this comes the Loud Lounge at V Festival, which I think we know about. Yeah. Um, and so it's a VIP area for Virgin at, um, at V Festival. So if I go back a little bit, before I was before I launched the pop-ups, me and my mates used to get employed by a company called Run Ragged at, v, at Loud Lounge. Do you, do you remember, do you ever know I that? Do, yeah. yeah. So Run Ragged um, basically used to like do um, hospital, concierge, if you like, for the, for the VIPs that would come to them. So basically, put them in some like branded clothes, drive them around on golf buggies, make sure they had drinks. Me and my mates used to basically work for free for the weekend to do that and drive the golf buggies like, you know, drive Cara Delevingne around on a golf buggy for the afternoon. It's just Tough funny. Gig. Yeah, exactly, Tough gig. exactly. And I think we, I think our best moment was singing. Um, we had like all the One Direction guys were all like drinking around near our golf buggy and we burst into um, the Wanted song. Just as you came, glad you came. We thought it was hilarious. Um, I don't think they even noticed. Um, but but anyway, so I did that for free. And that weekend we had crew catering. And I, I remember eating the crew catering and being like, this is a bit rubbish. And the guys that were all there, all the, like, the teams and stuff, were thinking, oh, the food is so crap and stuff like this. So I was like trying to find out who was running the Loud Lounge. So I found- Enter Michael White. Enter Michael White <laughs> and enter Mona Matadi. Um, and, and then I was like, basically, I really want to pitch for this. I really want to pitch for this. And Again, you know, you hand yourself up. I've been doing pop up, been doing this, you know. Um, here's some reviews and like just said, look, I, I won't let you down. And um, and I think that's been a big thing for me is like my name is on the door, and I think there's and I'm still very involved, and I think I'm very I'm very invested and I'm very um, accountable. Do you know what I mean? And I think I think I'd like to think that clients and people see that, you know, like it, it, the book does stop with me, and I will be there, and I will, you know, if I'm on if if, if there's a fire, I'll be in it putting it out with you you know like it's not like i'm gonna um i won't leave it you know mm. how, but, how are you gonna do that as the business continues to scale and grow well i would say the people that i've got now we have you know i think there's they're they're amazing you know like they are all our our the way we we approach clients is is like a sitting it's a service industry right it's not um there is not a set lit menu and it's people are so quick to say no like people like just in general you know like and like the, when you think about it, like why why like for me and I don't know if it comes back to, you know, the kind of like up, upbringing that I've had, but like someone's spending the amount of money they're spending with us on events and on the food and they can have whatever they want, you know, like they, they you know, that we're not going to kind of be dictated with them. And it might mean, you know, it might mean sometimes it's sausage rolls and sometimes it's pork pies. Other times it's caviar, but like the best sausage roll you've had yeah, and it'll be served in the best way we can, you know, with a smile and like, and, and that's, that's the way to do it. So like, we'll give you what you want and we'll do it the best we can, you know? Sorry, we digressed again. I'm very, I'm moving off on a tangent. That's all right. We'll, we'll bring you back. It's yeah, all good. Yeah, wrote me back in. Question was about the biggest yes yeah. when actually so, you perhaps weren't not necessarily so, prepared or, or yeah. structured for it. Sorry. So that was, so that was, so anyway, I managed to blag myself onto the, onto an itch job for to, to do the crew catering. So I then had a tasting at the, at, 
at Itch's offices with the client, Simon Dornan, who now works with us. Um, <laughs> I had, had, a, had a, a tasting with the client, went really, really well. And then they're like, yeah, it's yours. It's like, oh God, okay. And I remember going up, going to the site, clearing out all of my business bank accounts to do this job. I remember being in Booker's with my mum. Mum, mum helped them, came and washed up with me. Like, oh, oh they sad. would never, they were never going to let me, let me, they were going to be right there with me. So mum came and washed up with me. Dad helped as well. Dad, we were all drinking Monster, you know, the energy drink. Yes. And he was like, <laughs> let me have a little bit of that. And he had a clear kind of Monster. And then the next day I was like, Jimmy, you need to stay off that stuff. It's bad stuff. <laughs> He's like, I haven't slept all night. <laughs> it's like, it's all right, Dad. I can handle it. But yeah, you know, so, and, I, and I cleared out my bank account. I remember walking around thinking, if this, like, if they don't pay me on this, it goes, you know, I'm kind of, and I was like, actually, we'll just do it the best we can. And honestly, it was the biggest hit. And I think they changed crew caterers every year for five years. And we we kept that contract for every year until the Louder Lounge no longer existed. So, and I, I, and I do think as well, like a big part of that was, yeah, we were serving like, it's home cooked food, but we were serving it with, with like enthusiasm, with energy and with like a real, like, like we really cared, you know, like, and I think that, I think that it's not, it's, I always say it's not always what you do, it's the way you do it, you mm. know, like, and like, mm. it's true, you know, like we are, we're in such a saturated industry, you know, like all of us are, you know, um, there's millions of people who can cook and caterers out there. So it's, it's how you make people feel is what people remember. Mm. Um, you, you've mentioned a couple of names there, like Mike and a few others that, and, and it's seemingly a running thing where obviously you form these bonds and relationships, you then prove yourself and, and that then kind of continues. Given obviously what we do and, and obviously you're now part of as well in terms of that offering advice and that mentoring side of things, you mentioned in your letter a couple of key people. Yeah. You've obviously got loads of people that, <laughs> you know, throughout time and, and these names kind of crop up and I've worked with them there. I met them there and 10 years later, they're kind yeah. of doing the biggest job ever. Talk us through a couple of these key people. And obviously you mentioned your dad being being one of them, but yeah. but you mentioned one or two others um, that played such a pivotal part. Yeah. Um, not so much in necessarily a client sense, but more so perhaps in further guidance and advice and that mentoring role that you've had. Yeah, no, 100%. I think um, I remember I spent a long time in a, a, a middle patch of my business when I had, you'd have that middle bit, right, where you've got your kind of friends working for you. And that always, and most a lot of people I've spoken to, there's always, there always comes a sticking point for that. You know, when, when it's time to kind of like move friends away into being friends more, you know, and, and more into the, that employment side. And I always think that there, there comes a time when that when your business grows to that point, when it's time to like stop leaning on people for favours. And um, and I remember around that time, I just used to get so many people telling me how they would do it. And you just think like, if you would, if you're that, if you would do it, like just go and do it. You know, and I remember, and I always remember saying, take advice from the right people. And for me, I have a big thing about if you've done it, I want to see it because that's what I want to, I'm buying into. If you're telling me from your ivory tower, having never done this or from, you know, you know, from your like comfortable armchair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like how would I respond? Why, why would I drive that? Because what, what experience have you got telling me than that? You know? So I, um, I've had a few, but so Pamela Price, who is my, um, one of my best friends, to be honest, like she's, um, in a, it's 88 now. And, um, she reminds the two of you now just sat there having um, a good old giggle and mate, uh, we go to Hawksmoor for dinner and everyone's like you can see when we're going for dinner like what is this relationship <laughs> she's like effing and blinding at me over the table like you know I'm like picking off her plate and they're like are they in a relationship are they like <laughs> is, is that his grandma like what's the thing I love that well yeah exactly. I don't who cares and why, exactly. why not and again you know that comes back to the whole point who cares like you know it's nothing to do that's no mm. big deal and like that when we first, when I first started, so I, I, basically she had a kitchen in Clapham. Okay, she was an old, a retired caterer, but had an out kitchen in her home. So she had this home, 
And then she had a kitchen attached to it, which was a registered catering kitchen. Nothing much going on there. There was a guy there um, at um, Borough Market doing like baking once a week for his Borough Market store. So I started off renting the kitchen off her for 30 quid a day to start with, right? Then it went up to 80 quid a day. Then it was 500 pound a month. And, um, and you know, like that opportunity to do that on such, like, and she just loved seeing someone like me in there who was just like going for it, you know? And like, don't get me wrong, she used to have a go at me most times, but like, there's so many funny things I can tell you. Like, so we had her garden as this amazing garden in, in Alton Clapham, right? So after a while of working in that kitchen and, and taking so much, I didn't even know how to cost a job up, right? So I used to be like, how much should I charge? 35 quid a head, you know? Like, and then you get to the end of it, and you're like, I've got no money left after I've like got all my plates and everything. And she was like, I remember she showed me how to price. Like, no, you charge your equipment separately and you charge your food separately. You charge your staff separately. And I'm like, well, that's an eye opener. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, that's good. Um, but you know, like all these things that you just don't, how would you know, you know? And then she's like, you do know you can get your veg and your meat and your fish delivered and I was like really <laughs> uh, you know and like lots of things like that but like she had a huge open door policy as well right so again like we used to have everyone and anyone come with this out but in her garden where we we after a few years of running it in the kitchen we outgrew that kitchen you know like because it was it was a bit of a cottage industry kitchen and we were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so then we moved to a kitchen in Tulsa but I loved Pam and then that whole relationship just had to carry on and she had this garden that was just and still is like magical right so you walk, you'd walk around the, you'd walk along down um, Ivory Road, and you'd get to this walkway. You'd walk in the, her front door, then you walk through an iron gate. You walk around, and it was just like this oasis of like vegetable patches, beehives, um, berry berry trees, elderflower trees. Like it was like a like a secret garden. Honestly, it was stunning. And uh, we turned it into a pop up restaurant. That space, and Pam also used to rent her garden out to uh, garden out to campers. Right, so I was paying her like 150 quid a night to run this restaurant, it's a, so it's a basically hire the garden for the night to run the restaurant, I think it was 150 quid. 500 pound a week, it worked out for three nights a week. So it's like, you know, 26 grand a year. And then at like one night we turned up to set up, it's an outdoor restaurant with barbecue, with the barbecues. One night we turned up to set up and there's like a tent where the table was gonna go and I'm like, Pam, she's like, what are they paying 24 pound? I was like, Pam, I don't care how much they're paying. Like, I've got <laughs> guests coming. I've got guests coming in two hours and like, and you've got a minute. So she's like, okay, okay, I'll tell them to leave. So these poor people, we had to like take, pack the tent away from them. And then at 10 o'clock when all the guests had leave, we had to help them put the tent back out. <laughs> and like, you know, times when we'd be like, Pam, guests are coming in half an hour. Can you put your bra on? Because you'd be outside sunbathing in the garden before the guests are arriving. It's just like, can't write it. But again, you know, like from her, she uh, shameless, you know, like from her, it was like, you do you and do it well and don't worry about the noise around it. Mm -hmm. So... Always quick to give me advice and then always you, and lead by it. You know, from her, you did see she that. she cooked for the Queen Mum, right? You say in the letter. She cooked for it. She run out, ran all the boats so that didn't run all the river, the river boats. Um, she cooked for the Queen Mum. Um, she still owns a venue in Clapham Junction. Do you know Wessex House? Yes. You've heard of that? Yeah, so she owns that. So when you say mm -hmm. take advice from the right people, not only was Pam and is Pam a legend by the sounds of things, Absolutely but legend, she really yeah. knew what she Pam's was doing. Pam's done it. You know, Pam's done it and Pam's been where I'm wanting to go, you know? And I remember once taking a job with 48 hours notice, I got off the phone and it and it was 400 people and it was like sliders and bits and bobs and some skewers and stuff. And I got off the phone and I was like, oh, Pam, I shouldn't have taken that. And she went, what are you talking about? Of course you fucking should. Come on, let's go. And I was like, okay, all right, yeah, let's go. You know, like, <laughs> we're doing this. 48 hours later, I'm in the, you know, the M&M's, you know, the M&M store. Yeah. Do you know, you know, there's some dodgy venues up there, above there. And I went to go, so I did, so that's why I did the venue. 
I left my Ban Marie there, right, after the event because I couldn't load out because there was the party was still going on. And I, that, that weekend, I was on another job somewhere. And my mum was down for the weekend looking at um, me to see my sisters. So I was like, mum, I've left this Ban Marie over at, um, the, like above the M&M store. Can you do me a favour? Can you just go and get it? Because they're pestering me to get it out. So it's fine. So she goes there. About half an hour later, I get this call from my mum. And she's screaming down the phone. And she's like, who are these people you're working with? What is this that you're doing? Basically, she's gone to the wrong floor. Okay. <laughs> she, she's gone to the wrong floor. And the floor beneath is full of like babe station models all like sat on the sofa with your boobs out doing the whole like with a phone with the sex casting <laughs> oh, thing no. yeah exactly and she's like not that I've seen it before and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah apparently yeah like, so she so she's like who what what is this and I was like mum like it took, me a, four, took me a while four. to explain she's like I think they, you need to come back to Wakefield still, like, they still honestly. need to eat <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah yeah they love the chicken sliders <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so it was, that was a bit of a bit of a moment so Pam was and still is you know an, an incredible influence on, on me um, my dad as well um, has, has always been an, an amazing influence less so on business because I think he'd probably say you know he probably made a few mistakes in, in the, on his way on that less so in the business but more so in just the way he, he is with people and the way he always has been, you know. Everybody loves my dad, he's a ledge. So, yeah, on that side. And then, you know, I have people now that I'm, yeah, I'm still taking advice from and, and listening to, and, you know, people like Richard, Richard Graves, who works with me, I, um, my MD, you know. Again, the, the premise of, of me hiring him is that he will he will not let me make the same mistakes he might have made in, in when he was mm. at this point. And, you know, that is... That's the whole point, you know, like... It's the premise of a mentor, right? That's the, exactly. exactly. Yeah. What people who've walked in your shoes is, is, is for me, the, the, the place to take advice. Or where you... Not even walked in your shoes. Walked in the shoes you want to walk in, you know? Yeah. Um, that's where that's I fun. take the biggest advice from people and respect, you know? Like, mm. it's very easy for people to tell you what they think you should do. Yeah, everyone's an yeah. expert from the sidelines. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but no one really knows what it's like when unless you're in the mixer, you know? So... So, yeah. You're doing it a bit differently, and you mentioned in the in the letter to yourself is that you know this kind of have faith, trust your gut, and things like that. But but now you're you're kind of blazing a slightly different trail and, and running the business almost like an agency now, which actually if you're conforming to others that you wouldn't have. So I suppose with that in itself, it's it's where did that come from? What what was the intuition to do things differently? Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's interesting because we get a lot of a lot of people. In fact, almost everyone says you guys are so different, or like you know. And I, and I I probably am not the best person to tell you what that is that makes us so different because like I've never worked for another caterer, I've never worked for another agency, and so all I know is that I'm or what, what what the way we're doing the way, the approach we're doing is what is the best way I know how you know mm. like and that and that and that's it and that's taken. Probably from like the yachts when, you know, I, I had a pretty abusive Italian captain. I drilled it into me pretty quickly that no, no is not an answer that you have on this boat. Do you understand? So, mm. understand? Yeah. You know, so four people come for dinner. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, we're going to be, um, we're going to dinner around 11 o'clock. Um, there'll be four of us. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, cool. No problem. 11 o'clock comes and goes. Midnight comes and goes. Gets like half one. All of a sudden, 12 people turn up on the boat. You're like, I'm like it's fine though, isn't it? I'm like, um... Yeah, it's fine. And you're going downstairs thinking, how many pieces can I cut this monkfish into before it looks like <laughs> looks like I've cut it into pieces? So that was always a big, big part of, of that. It was like, you know, having not, not been in, mm. no, not been in, in my vocabulary and, and that. So I think all of those points has probably brought us to the way that we're, the way that we're trying to run this. And um, it comes back to that point. It's like, it's a service-led yeah. business for me. You know, like, yeah, we cook, our, we cook our food and we cook, we have food that we love to cook and we have a subliminal way of doing it. And our, our thing at the moment is like, it, is that we will our approach to it is what do you want what's the event how do you want it to be then we go away and we try and put the layers on that 
And then when we do, and what's the message, you know? And then when we've done that, it's kind of like, well, that's that's the event as a whole. Is that does that feel like that's what you want to see and what you want to tell? And I think, like I said, you know, it's trying to do it the best way. Yeah. And that's just kind of what we've always done. You know, I don't. I, I honestly couldn't exactly tell you what I think. I think we're super flexible. I know that because why wouldn't we be? You know, like again, but you know, like what? Why not? You know, like, and it's just that, like, for us to kind of be able to change numbers or to be able to. There's always a way of doing things right, and there's a, you you guys know in events and catering. There's about a million ways to skin a cat, <laughs> you know, and like more often than not, you can find a way of making it work. That what we can making what the clients work by, by mm. being honest and open about the compromises you're gonna have to make because of budgets mm. or things like yeah. that. You know what I mean? And but it, but it's then having the the ability and the emotional maturity to be able to manage those kind of conversations mm. in such a way that it becomes a constructive one rather than a we can't unfortunately and then being yeah. pissed off with you. So, yeah, and I think I think as we we've been known for the weird and wacky and wonderful, and now people kind of do come to us for for that. We had a phase for a long time where everyone we were like the donut guys. We do these with these walls where we we don't just put donut wall, but then we have artists painting whatever you want on the donut wall. So whether that's a logo, whether that's a message, and then at the end of the event, the guests take it away. I mean, it's so so 2019, but you know it was done now. We also did a, we did a big job for for Google as an example. You know, two thousand people, and we were doing desserts. And they they historically had issues on this event with people queuing for the food stations and just having huge queues and they didn't want to do that. So we were like, right, we've got an idea that's going to be really cool, but is also going to mean there's no queues. And we put a massive tree in the venue. We put 2,000 desserts and hung them all underneath the tree and called it the Tree of Treats. So basically oh, you would just... Nice. And the guests would just pass underneath, grab the dessert and walk along. And it was like, brilliant. We might have done that a couple of times now. But you know, like, and, and that's the whole, the whole part is like, actually there's... Let's figure it out. Let's have some fun. We're doing a job in a couple of weeks where we're doing this, the tasting was like epic, you know, like, so, you know, because we're all like, is this going to work? And it works. Um, so we're doing a wall, which is a uh, cookie, cookie bricks. So it's bricks of cookie that are this big. Right. And then we've got um, spray paints, but it's like edible, like purees basically that you can spray out. So like flavored paint. So the idea, is, and it's a New York themed party. So the idea is- This sounds epic, come guests, in. The guests get a spray gun, can go and tag their brick, do what they want, and then they can pick the brick off and take it away. And then just go and eat their brick on the wall. That's their piece of like art that they've made. So that's happening in a couple of weeks. But I remember the tasting, we were like, great guys. You know, and, you're like, and I was like, it works. I love those ideas. So many of the things that I've done in my career, you sort of walk in and try and sell it into a client and you're like, they're never going to buy this or it's never going to work. Yeah. And then they do it and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, I guess okay, we better figure then. it out. Right. Yeah. So we did a, a good, a good example actually is a meta uh, job that we do every year. We've done it for eight years in Cannes. And one of the agencies, and I won't tell you who it was, but they're great, but they'd basically sold this idea into the client and then came to us and were like, so <laughs> we've sold this into the client. We've got no idea how to make it work. Can you help? And I was like, oh God. And you know, we did. And we made it, we, it was a color changing um, cocktail basically. And we made it work and you know, we went and figured it out. And then we, it Blim was- Blimmin Hessen who? It was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was basically around uh, pride and equality. So the idea nice. of like, you know, changing colors and stuff. So, but again, you know, that's really satisfying for us because that's our job is to like, mm. to, to find solutions to stuff, you know? You mentioned they gratifying and, and the satisfaction there a point you made earlier and it mentions it in your letter is, is about that gratitude and an appreciation and, and kind of taking a moment and things you're obviously on a journey and, and I know how old you are and <laughs> you're not that old <laughs> you, you're clearly kind of a, a, nowhere and even halfway there you're getting a bit emotional when you almost start thinking about all the stuff you've done how do you 
make sure that that you stay grounded but you make time for this kind of acknowledgement yourself but also do it in such a way that you are still driven to yeah. keep going so it's a balance but love to hear how you do it or, or to be honest i don't do. i don't i i'd say i probably struggle with it you know a little bit i think um to be honest because i don't stop and think enough oh, how far we've come and i think that's probably why i'm so as grounded as i am you know and because i actually have it i don't it's really important to not pay attention to the noise because like it's just noise do you know what i mean and and that always is is and will be the mm. case you know so it's and outside of that noise what's the most important thing right it's your family you know and it's um it's keeping my business going but like the, what's the most important thing is your family really isn't it you know and i think looking back on that you know the the, the journey that we've come on to you know i don't think i realize what we've done until i talk about it at times like this now and i'm like actually yeah that's quite cool and i think and a lot of people at the time people go oh you know it's pretty amazing you know like, yeah it's all right cheers you know because over over time you know you're sure you guys you're on a journey yourselves you know over time everything happens as it goes along that it mold molds into this one big long journey that it's really easy to forget that i was like running to the market with a suitcase you know like and so i think that's 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 a big part of it i think when i do stop and realize it i think i've I, you know without being eggy i'm proud of my, proud of what we've done yeah, yeah sure. um and proud of the team that i've had to help me do that so yeah so that's i can't, I can't emotional again no, it is it's, it's easy you I don't, find the letter uh, i found it really cathartic actually and i um because i you know i like I think probably most of I suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I put all those things that like, how do we get here so quickly? Like, do I even deserve that? You know, all those things that kind of go through your mind because you've just been on this hamster wheel for so long, and it's all of a sudden you turn around, and you're like, wow, look at what we're doing. Am I am I the right guy to do? This? You know, am I? Can I do this? And the answer is yes. You know, like, and it's that whole thing about trusting your gut and getting telling that guy that's that's questioning everything to get out of the room, and mm. put the confident guy in the room. But like like everybody else, we all have that little the little niggle and those little doubts it's just trying to like kick them away or deal with them and you talk a bit you mentioned that your name's on the door yeah. that the buck stops with you and in your letter you talk about actually sometimes needing that separation from work so how how yeah. do you separate yourself from something i think i think sometimes i found I can, it can be quite hard with the, your team dynamic i think because um i feel like you i really want i want the i want my chefs i want them to be the stars of the show you really but it, it, it's always with my name at the dart at the at the door of it it's always going to be that the jimmy's the one running this you know so there's an element of that but also like it's just it's it's so personal to me and it, it always has been and i don't know if it would change without the name you know i don't know if it would i don't know if it would make a difference to the way i would operate to be honest it wouldn't probably i just take things so personally you know and, I, and i've got better at that as i get older because you get thicker skin don't we all and you realize you can't please everyone and you know and that's okay you know like mm -hmm. and you're okay with that but yeah i think the, the early years I took it hard you know like it's just hard hard when you name it and when you can't be in control of absolutely everything and things happen outside of your control that ultimately it comes back on you and you've got to deal with that you know there's nowhere else to look and nowhere else to turn mm. you could, the other one who's got to pick up the pieces and go and get it sorted so um that that is the thing and it, it's not i've had amazing times right you know like there's been some brilliant things that we've done and i've cooked for some incredible people and i've, I've been really fortunate that now i've got an amazing team that it was that there's that sticky bit, I think, when I was going from like working with my friends to trying to get out of building a business more and not be so coal faced. That's when it's really hard because your friends, you know, they're like, well, where are you tonight? I'm like, well, I'm on, there's like six events on tonight. I'm like, I can't be everywhere, you know? And it's kind of that understanding of how that goes. And then as you get, as we get slightly bigger now and we have, you know, a senior management team, you know, like all these little things that over the years, you just developed, you know, it just started, yeah. it was just myself just to start with. Step. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that, you know, that becomes, an, and I think as our 
companies progressed, I think, yeah, um, it's my name at the door and, and there's a person to it, but I think we've become a bit of a brand as well. And I think mm. so. I think there's, I always say, in, there's, there's loads of Jimmy's in my team, you know, like there's there's loads of Jimmy's who come on events and will deliver you like incredible food and incredible hospitality, you know, like that's, 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 nice that's your hallmark. Yeah, but well, because we're like, that's, that's how we want it to be and yeah. everybody knows that. So with, with us rounding then to the end and we've got the big question coming, what would you say, and, and, and if you were to briefly summarise kind of the next 10 years or so is, what what's the future ambition for, for yourself and the business or the two being the one? Well, you could probably imagine from the conversation we've just had, I've only ever thought about six months ahead. So like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so five years, 10 years is really a long time. Um, but honestly, I think um, for me and where, where the journey we're on, I think that the kind of momentum that we've got at the moment, I think it's trying to get into more great venues, do more great things and with the clients that we're working with, we, we're on a path just keeping that trust up, you know, so keeping it and doing bigger and bigger things. So I have, I've, I've, there's thoughts about um, an office abroad. It's been floated around. We do a lot of work in Europe now to make that a bit easier. But over the next few years, it's just kind of keeping on, enjoying the ride and seeing what comes up and trying to like keep growing the business and, and keeping a good team with me, really. Yeah. So we come to that point, Jimmy, um, where we ask the question, so we've scattered around it a little bit and we've touched on it a little bit, but it'd be great to hear that one piece of advice that is so good, you have to share it. Yeah, just just say yes, I think would be, uh, I'll be a yes man, you know. I think it's, don't be afraid to say yes to something that you haven't done before or that you think is maybe beyond you and work it out afterwards and it'll be all right, you know. Like, and if, and if it isn't, what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm. Um, like at least you can say you gave it a go, you know, and that's another thing I think you're always going to, you're never going to regret the things that you did. You'll always, you could always regret the things you didn't do, you know? And I think... I don't know. There's a few in the well, closet was, that I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah. I was also about to say, there's two there's pieces of advice there. Regrets are lessons, right? Two, two pieces of advice there. Yeah, you could, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I'd say, yeah, that's kind of it, really. Thank Brilliant. you so much. Pleasure. Really Thank you very much. You. Thanks for having Cheers, me. Jimmy. I actually have a couple of little cookbooks for you both, actually. Oh, no there way. You go. So cooking at home. That's what you were right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's one for you. Thank you very okay. much. And uh, there's one for you. All guests note, presents are welcome. <laughs> oh, what a save. This is our first shameless oh. plug. Eh? <laughs> cookbook. Oh. Amazing. And when does this come out? Or, oh, it's or been out for a long time, yeah. it was. Um, it's been out for a few years now. So, so. for those listening and not watching, Social Eats, Food to impress your mates. I know what Love I'm going to pull out next time. King. Sunday Max Times, that's over. legit as there well. There you go, mate. That's not just Pete doing it's, it on socials. That's legit, isn't it? It's in print. It's <laughs> in print. Brilliant. Thank you very Thank much. You Pleasure. So much. Thank you very much. It's not every day you have such a refreshing conversation. I mean, what the passion from him was so evident. And, you know, his emotions at points really came through. And you, you can see that this isn't just a business to Jimmy mm. this is what he does it's life isn't it yeah and, and it's part of him it, where he is at the moment is such an interesting part of of the journey and it feels like that journey but one that he's so enthusiastic and passionate about we were talking about it after even in in a brief reflection is it's these stages that he's gone through on this journey this really hands-on raw and ready approach from dragging monkfish from Canary Wharf. And, and I feel sorry doing, for anyone that was on the train that day. But but doing, <laughs> you know, it, whilst he's working as a trader, doing £10 supper clubs for his mates just to be able to do something he's passionate about and then finding that passion kind of evolve into then this incredible multi-million pound business. And, and still now he's getting in there, getting his hands dirty and, and really working hard for it because I think, as he said, it doesn't feel like work. It, 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 it is kind of what he loves.
And I think what's been lovely about learning more about Jimmy's journey and the way that he shared it was this, I guess, naivety in many ways of, well, I'm going to go and do this and I like that and mm. charging your mates 10 quids and not knowing how to charge up, you know, businesses and whatnot. But just that, that ability to step into things and go through things and being unafraid about the outcome and going, oh, okay, that wasn't right. Being like a trader a, wasn't right. Okay, cool. I'm yeah. going to go and do this like thing. like an innocence to it. Yeah. And I think so many people often think they have to have it all figured out, right? This is my path. This is my yeah. journey. This is what I'm going to do. This is how much I'm going to charge. This is what I'm, you know, I think sometimes the joy of figuring it out and being flexible enough and able enough to go, that's not right for me. Yeah. So I'm going to go down this path because that feels better and just seeing where that leads you and understanding that it's all part of your personal journey and tapestry of yeah. the skills that you have, the experiences you have that makes you unique. Like in, in many ways, nothing's a wrong turn. And I, yeah. I think so much of his journey has shown that. And, and what he said about it, right, it's that learning you mentioned about this area where you put yourself into these uncomfortable situations, that's where you grow the most. The last thing I want to kind of point out as part of that reflection piece is I don't think I've ever met anyone quite like Jimmy and I, I'm a big, big ambassador for connections and, and working hard to give more than you get and things like that. But Jimmy has his authenticity and innocence to him, and I mentioned that, that he meets people and because he cares so much about what he does and when he does meet people he wants to just help and things like that the amount of opportunities that have come from it and when I've talked about networking that dirty word and things it's that actually it's not it's about meeting people and talking about the things that mutually care about and when it connects it does but you have to then be ready for when that turns back around and an opportunity arises to capitalize on it and the weird and wild and, and 48 hours to turning around a dinner for 400 and things. These are opportunities that arise from those relationships providing that value. But if you don't capitalize on them, then then you can't expand or leverage this network. It doesn't work. So for him, that readiness, that yes factor, the innocence perhaps, or, or at least even the willingness to try and maybe not get it right, it's just meant that he has carved out this slight... I don't know, people would say that he's, he's disrupting the industry. I think he's just doing it the way that he wants. He said it's the way that I know how. Yeah. And that's become this natural disruption and meant that he's a standout individual and with a standout business. So I love the conversation. Great conversation. I think the other thing that really stood out for me is this sense of him not limiting himself or what he thinks a caterer should be or, or what has been done in the industry already. Like you said, it's just him doing his thing, going about it in the way that he thinks is best and by all accounts, smashing it. Yeah. Lovely chat. Lovely chat as well. Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. To find out more about them, you can check them out via our website, elevateme.co. Together, we're changing lives, careers, and the events industry for the better. This podcast was powered by Wonder, the independent specialist, creative, business-to-business and business-to-employee events agency. And a huge thanks goes to our producer and fellow Team Elevator, Pete Kerwood.